Good evening. This is Patrick Donahue. Appreciate you listening every time, every week at this same time to Bible Crossfire, where you can call in, ask your Bible question, make a Bible comment. One thing that we ask, though, is that the scriptures is going to be our authority. You know, when anybody's preaching or teaching the Bible, whether you hear it on the radio like me or on TV or at church, you need to make sure that what they're saying is proven by the Bible, that they're giving book, chapter, and verse for what they're saying. In Acts 17, verse 11, we see this great example of the Bereans. Paul was preaching. It says, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. So they searched the scriptures whenever, whenever they were hearing Bible teaching to make sure that person was proving what they were saying by, from the Bible, because the Bible is God's word. We know it's right. Pat may be wrong. Even Paul might be wrong. I mean, Jesus did say in Matthew 15, 14, if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. The analogy is that if a false teacher leads us astray, we're going to end up lost just like him, uh, in the ditch uh, just like him. So we need to be careful about what we hear. Make sure we're only believing what the Bible teaches. Two plus two can't equal four and five at the same time in mathematics or in religion. Matthew, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. What does it, uh, it mean in John 4, verse 24, to worship God in spirit, in spirit and in truth? Matthew, that's a very good question. John 4, 24, God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. What does that mean? I usually like to turn people... To, Matthew, to Joshua 24, 14 as a parallel, Matthew. Let me read that for you, Joshua 24, 14. Joshua's speaking here. He says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and serve you the Lord. So serve God in sincerity and in truth. Matthew, you see the parallel, the worshiping in spirit and in truth, the parallel there? Yes. So, so worshiping God in in spirit would mean with sincerity. You're doing it genuinely. Let me give you an example of somebody who's not worshiping God genuinely. Let's suppose you have this 20 year old young man who goes, he starts going to church. He's doing all the right things, at least on the surface, you know, worshiping God this way, going to church. But he's really doing it not to please God, but he's trying to impress a pretty young lady that he's interested in. So he may be worshiping God in truth, at least on, on the surface, but he's not worshiping God in spirit. He's not doing it genuinely. He's not doing it sincerely, as we see in Joshua twenty four fourteen. He's not doing it with the right motivation. You see what I mean, Matthew? Yes. So worshiping God in spirit means do it with the right motivation. You're trying to please God, not men, you know. Now, what does it mean to worship God in truth? That's the other part of that equation. Well, John seventeen seventeen, Jesus said, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So Matthew's worshiping God in truth would mean worshiping God the way he has instructed us in his word. It's not enough just to be sincere and worship God. You've got to be sincere because you've got to worship God in spirit. But you have to not only be sincere, you have to worship God in truth. A lot of people fail on this account. We need to pay attention to how he has asked us to worship him. You see what I mean, Matthew? Yes. You, you got any follow-up question to that? 
thank you for everything you do and and I just want to wish you and your radio listeners a happy new year. Thank you for your call, Matthew. Appreciate it. You're, you're right. welcome. Bye. Have a good holidays. You too. Remember, anybody can call in like Matthew and get on the air with your Bible question or comment. The number to call is 877-655-6755. Matthew brought up the subject of worshiping God in spirit and in truth from John 4.24. You know, evidently, Nadab and Abihu were not careful in this regard, what we're talking about. Leviticus 10, 1 through 2 reads this way. Um, well, I'm going to have to turn there. Leviticus 10... One through two says, And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer and put fire therein and put incense thereon and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. And there went out fire from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. So here, Nadab and Abihu were worshiping God, but they weren't doing it the way he instructed according to their law, which would be the Old Testament law. So was God pleased or displeased? He was displeased. Well, what can we learn from this? We know we're not under the Old Testament law, so we're not going to learn how to worship God today from this example. I mean, God never tells us in the New Testament to worship him by burning incense. But here's what we can learn from this. When we worship God, it's not enough just to worship God the way maybe we would want to, but we got to worship him the way he specified. For that, for us, for Nadab and Abihu, that would be how the Old Testament specification for us. It would be how the New Testament specifies. God's going to be displeased if we just worship God, but don't do it the way he says. We can learn that from Leviticus 10, 1 and 2. Isn't that, isn't that clear? God said to worship him in spirit and in truth. It means to worship him, him sincerely, Joshua 24, 14, with the right motive, because you're trying to please God, not because you're trying to please men or for some other reason, or to make money, or to please a young lady that maybe you like. And worship God in truth means, as John seventeen seventeen says, the word of God defines for us what the truth is. So worshiping God in truth would mean worshiping God the way he said. Now, most churches, a lot of people who are believers in a lot of churches, they go to church and they worship God, but they've never investigated the New Testament to find out how to worship God. They just think, well... The only thing that's important is that we do worship God. Well, was it important for Nadab and Abihu to worship God? Yes, but was that the only thing that was important? No, they were worshiping God, all right. Leviticus 10 and 1 and 2, but they weren't doing it the way God specified. So God was displeased. God's going to be displeased with us if we worship God, but not how he specified in the New Testament. Have you ever tried to study the New Testament with that uh, thought in mind that we need to find out from the New Testament how God wants Christians, churches today, to worship God, the how? Not just that we're going to be sincere and do it, but how does God, what does he want us to do when we worship God? Dave from South Carolina, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Yes, sir. So my question, I, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, a follower of Jesus, and I have a struggle in my faith at times because of um, a lot of times preachers, when I hear them talking, They'll talk, for, they'll talk about the Garden of Eden and that struggle with sin, and then they jump all the way to when Jesus was born and how he has come to the earth for our sins. And there's not a real talk about 
the flood and how every single person and thing on the earth was destroyed except for Noah and his family and their the animals that they chose to keep. And I have I have a real struggle in my faith about this, and I'm hoping you can put some clarity in, on this question. Well, I don't know exactly what you're asking, but I wish you lived in uh, near uh, live where I live, worship with the congregation I do. The guy that speaks where I go to church most of the time, he's, he talks about the flood quite a bit because he likes to talk about creation, evolution kind of issues. And, and the flood, uh, whether or not there was a global flood, is heavily involved in that discussion. Uh, if you were to look at the uh, ICR material, a lot of what they talk about is the flood and what's happening. So that's that I see right. a lot of material. And a, I hear a lot of preaching on the flood and everything because – it helps yeah. us in our fight against the, the atheists who say evolutionists, and they say there never was a flood. But what we can see is the Bible talks about a flood, and we see scientific evidence around the world for it. What else do you want to talk about in regard to that, Dave? So so the question I have, I guess I should have been clear, is if God, because God loves us unconditionally and, and has this incredible love for us, and I know this is only an answer he has. It's part of the mystery. I get it. But— why would he wait to send Jesus after he destroyed all the earth and all the people in it and all the, why would he wait? Why would he not send Jesus sooner when there was all this terrible stuff going on for our sins? I mean, if all sins are the same, then do you understand my question here? Well, the Bible talks about in the book of Galatians, basically the way we'd put it in our vernacular, when the time was right, God sent Jesus Christ. Okay, he gave the law, which was after the flood through Moses, and I'm turning to Galatians three right now, but he gave the law to be our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. Galatians three twenty four says, wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. So I think there's a lot of training that needed to go on. People needed the law so they could because to show what their transgressions were. And God, evidently, he thought that was a 1,000 or 2,000 years or whatever the time frame was. They needed this law to be under to lead them to the point where it, Christ could be understood, where Christ could be accepted. So God, in his infinite wisdom, decided that to send Christ during the days of the Roman Empire. Uh, we, and our, by our calendars, we think of it as he died about 33 A.D. or thereabouts. And, God, through his infinite wisdom, thought that was the best time. And so that's when yeah. he sent him. And it doesn't matter to, that, that he sent him then. All the people under the Old Testament law and us in the New could be forgiven based upon the death of Christ if they repented. They could be forgiven when they repented even before the death of Christ based upon the blood of Christ that was to come, the payment that was to come. For example, David committed Bathsheba, had her husband killed. When Nathan, God's prophet, confronted him, David repented. He was forgiven based upon the payment, Jesus' blood, that was to come later. So it really didn't matter at what point in history uh, in regard to whether or not we could be saved or not. At what point in history Jesus came, the main thing is that he came, he died, so that anybody who lived in the history of the world can be forgiven based upon that blood if they're willing to turn from their sins. Does that make sense, Dave? Yeah, that's a great answer. The time because part of it is because God is 
all-knowing, like you said, and, and omnipresent. So because that sin, it, it covers all time sin. That is the best answer I've ever thought about. So thank yeah. you so much for that. It would be like this illustration. We use all use credit cards now, but before credit cards were so readily available, you would have a charge account at a store. Have you ever had a charge account at a store, Dave? Yes, sir. So you, maybe it's a charge account at the grocery store. Your wife can go there and buy groceries once a week during the month. She doesn't have to pay then. She comes home, brings the groceries home, cooks them, you eat them. And then at the end of the month, the grocery store owner is going to send you a bill. Then you pay for the groceries. So you get to enjoy the groceries before you ever pay for them, right? Yes, sir. People could enjoy the forgiveness of sins if they were willing to trust and obey God even before the payment came, which is the death of Christ. This is kind of alluded to in Galatians. Excuse me, not Galatians, but Romans chapter 3. If you, I don't know if you have your Bible or your driving, Dave. But in I Romans 3, yeah. Romans 3.25 in the King James says, Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation. Well, let me start with verse 424. It's talking about Christ being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. And what this is basically saying is God forgave people in the, in the past centuries before Christ came. He redeemed that, but they were redeemed with Jesus's blood. And so when Jesus finally came and died, it declared God righteous for all those times he had forgiven people in the That's Old great. Testament times yeah. before Christ came and died. Yeah, thank you so much for that Makes answer. Sense. I appreciate well, thank you. you. Yes, sir. Thank you for your call. Do you got anything, any any follow-up no. or any other question? No, that's great. Thank you so much. I appreciate right. you. Let's try to stay in touch, Dave. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. Have a good evening. Yes, sir. Bye. You too. Hey, the lines are now wide open. If you have a Bible question or comment, call us at 877-655-6755. That number again to call if you want to go on the air with a Bible question or comment is 877-655-6755. A while ago, we were looking at this idea in John 4, 24, that God uh, wants us to worship him in spirit and in truth. Verse 23 says something similar, but adds maybe a little bit of an additional thought there. Jesus said in John 4, 23, but the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And here's what I wanted to underscore. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. Not only should we worship the Father, God in spirit and in truth, meaning sincerely, according to his word, but God is actually looking for people who will worship him that way. We think, well, God's looking for anybody that will just serve him or worship him, and it doesn't really matter how. No, he's only looking for folks that will worship him in spirit and in truth. In other words, the way he's told us to worship him. That's who he's looking for. He's not really looking for folks that will just worship God according to the way they want to, which is 99% of all the believers out there. They just worship God the way they want to. They serve God the way they want to. If they think it's good to have gay marriage, they have gay marriage. If they think it's good to do the Lord's Supper once every three months instead of every first day of the week, as we see in Acts 20, verse 7, they do it that way. They're not so concerned about how God has told us to worship him. But God's not looking for folks like that. He's looking for folks who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Uh for example, as I mentioned, gay marriage, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? 
do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Twice in that passage, he says these people will not inherit the kingdom of God. He has a list of sins, and in there he says homosexuals. So these churches that are allowing gay marriage, they're not worshiping God in spirit and truth. God's not looking for people like that that will worship him, but not in spirit and truth. He's looking for folks who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And that means he's looking for folks who will be like Jesus was and oppose homosexuality. What about churches who allow women preachers? 1 Corinthians 14, 34 and 35. The Bible says there, let your women keep silence in the churches. For it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it's a shame for women to speak in the church. I sometimes say, well, this is the clearest passage on any subject in the Bible. You can't find a passage that's any clearer on any other subject than this passage is clearer on this issue of women preachers. It says basically three times they're not to preach. What we mean, preach in the church. Let your women keep silence in the churches. It's not permitted unto them to speak. It's a shame for women to speak in the church. Yet I'm told... About 75% of churches across America and Canada will allow women to preach from the pulpit in the church when this is so clear. Well, they're worshiping God, but they're not worshiping God in spirit and the truth. It's certainly not according to truth. Remember, Jesus said in John 17, 17, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So the word defines for us what the truth is. And the truth is that women are not to speak in the church. So the people that are allowing women preachers, they're not worshiping God in truth. God's only looking for folks who are worshiping him and in spirit and in truth. You know, we have a lot of people that talk about the mark of the beast and try to make the mark of the beast or the 666, which is mentioned in Revelation 13, chapter 13, something going on today or in our near future. But they ignore what the whole book of Revelation is all about. Revelation, the very first verse, Revelation 1.1 says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And then verse 3 of the same chapter. Keep these things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. So twice in the first chapter, he says, The prophecies of the book of Revelation are to be fulfilled in a short time frame. The first century time frame. Revelation 22, 16 says, The Lord God, the holy prophet, sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. That's the last chapter. Also, verse 10, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. So the mark of the beast, the 666, that's talking about something in the first century time frame, not the birthmark on Mikhail Gorbachev's head or the vaccine today. This is something, these are talking about in Revelation things that were shortly to come to pass. Yet preach, people will say, well, Revelation is a book about, about, it's all about the second coming of Christ and what's going to happen then. Well, they're not, they're not teaching the truth. They're not worshiping God in spirit and truth. God's looking for somebody who'll worship God in spirit and in truth. What about this idea of sprinkling babies for baptism as opposed to, uh, immersing infants? Well, let's look about Acts 8, 35 through 37. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture, and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came into a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. 
And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. So Philip is preaching Jesus to the eunuch. The eunuch, they come upon some water. The eunuch wants to be baptized. What's keeping me from being baptized? He asked. Philip said, if thou believest, thou mayest. Mayest what? Be baptized, which implies that if you don't believe, you can't be baptized. You shouldn't be baptized. Well, what does that verse then say about the scripturalness of infant baptism since they can't believe? Well, it's clear. Infant baptism is unscriptural. It's contrary to the truth. We have a lot of people worshiping God, but they're not worshiping God according to the truth. As John 4.24 says, God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. They're not doing it according to truth if they're baptizing babies. Am I right? God is looking for folks, not just anybody, but somebody who wants to worship him in spirit and truth, sincerely, the right motive, the right reason, and doing it according to his word. If we're not doing it according to his word, we're not worshiping him in in truth. That's pretty plain, isn't it? Plain, isn't it? If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. If you have a Bible question or comment. And then in Romans chapter 6, verse 4, reads this way. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So baptism is a burial. When somebody dies and we take them out to the graveyard to bury them, does that mean we sprinkle a little dirt on their head or we put them all the way up under the ground? We know what buried means. So if we're burying somebody in baptism, that would mean we're sprinkling a little water on them or we're going to put them all the way up under the water. We know what buried means. So when folks sprinkle for baptism, they're not worshiping God in spirit and in truth. And God's only looking for folks who will worship him in spirit and in truth. John 4, 23. They that worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. John 4, 24. Sprinkling babies for baptism, that's not worshiping God. That's not serving God in sincerity and in truth. If you if you use the words of Joshua 24, 14. It's not according to truth. Truth says that you immerse believers. One other little issue to use as an illustration, divorce and remarriage. Jesus said in Matthew 19, 9, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her, which is put away, doth commit adultery. Probably 90% of the churches out there in the United States and Canada, where this broadcast goes, completely ignore this passage. They just completely ignore it because I've been told 20-something percent of the adult membership is in a second or third marriage that violates this passage. So according to Jesus, they're in an adulterous marriage. Well, if you're in an adulterous marriage, what would you have to do if you want to repent and get forgiveness for it? Well, if you were in a gay marriage, what would you have to do? You couldn't just stay in the gay marriage. You couldn't just say, I'm sorry, and stay in the gay marriage. Well, then neither could you say, I'm sorry, and stay in an adulterous marriage. But as I say, probably 90% of the churches out there just say, well, stay in whatever marriage you're in. Even if you're second, you're in your second or third marriage and it's called adulterous, an adulterous marriage by Jesus Christ in Matthew 19, 9, who cares? That's because they're worshiping God, but they're not trying to worship him. They're not really trying to worship him in spirit and in truth, as John 4, 24 requires. They're not worshiping God according to truth. If they're not worshiping God according to his word, his word defines for us what the truth is, and in divorce and remarriage, if you divorce and remarry, and unless that you divorce them for fornication, then the second marriage is called an adulterous marriage. Or if your spouse divorces you for whatever reason and you remarry, 
That's adultery. You can't stay in a marriage like that and be pleasing to God. You can be forgiven. You have to repent just like any other sin. You can repent of being gay. What do you got to do? You make up your mind you're sorry about that and you change. You quit being gay. Quit committing that sin. Same with adultery. If you're in an adulterous marriage, you do like John the Baptist asked Herod and Herodias to do. You get out of that marriage. It's not lawful for you to have her. If you've been sprinkled as a baby for baptism, you hadn't really been baptized. If you want to worship God in spirit and truth, you're going to have to be immersed as a believer. If you're part of a church that allows women preachers, you don't want to be a part of that. You want to try to get them, you get, get, quit doing that because they're not worshiping God according to truth. They're allowing women preachers. Look, if you'd like to have a free one-hour phone Bible study at your convenience, call or text me at 256-682-9753. Free one-hour phone Bible study with me at your convenience. Call or text me at 256-682-9753. Thank you for listening tonight. Be sure and listen next week at this same time.